There you go, a little old dirty bastard, also known as Russell Tyree Jones. We put it out to the office. What do you want to hear on the panel uh, this afternoon? I played Heavy D and the Boys uh, yesterday, and they said, play something good as opposed to your rubbish. So is that Wu-Tang Clan? This is very good. Founding member of Wu-Tang, yes. yes. Absolutely. He's known for his off-the-cuff style. So, yeah, Heavy D and the boys yesterday and uh, a bit of uh, shimmy shimmy uh, y'all uh, this afternoon. Is that what it's called? <laughs> You're so fly. You're you so know, fly. A never, bit of shimmy never, shimmy y'all. Never, never, shimmy never shimmy been much of a Wu-Tang Clan myself. No, me neither. Uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, hip-hop fan Penny? No, actually. No. Uh, no. Yeah, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. The weightier, the better. Sweet. So what does that mean? Heavy D? A heavy everything. Um, <laughs> as long as it has a message and a heavy beat, I'll listen to it. I like yeah. some, but but not all. Like you know, And actually, it was the Fast Crew from New Zealand. It's mm-hmm. really, some ones that I really enjoyed nice. and stuff too. But yeah, yeah, it's a mixed bag of a genre, oh. I find. Uh, I don't need to shower every day. I use deodorant and wash top and tail every day, anonymous, so I don't out myself. Uh, a lot of response to this. And, There's uh, a lot uh, of euphemisms for genitals too, just quietly. Is just there? saying. Is there? Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. Top and tail, um, smelly areas. Uh uh, showering to warm up in the winter is my best reason for showering. Reverse in uh, the summer. When you're sailing mm. or yacht, Wallace, Smoreen, uh, across oceans, you can't shower every day. And after two or three days, just washing uh, the obvious parts. I'm 72 and I shower every day. Uh, just a saying. Now, speaking of showers, too, what I was talking about at the start of the show <laughs> is when it comes to the fireworks, mm. it's golden rain, right? Yes, golden okay, rain. Okay, so that, that is the... Uh, right, not... Yes, not the showers. Nah. No, uh, it's been a very shower-heavy show. Hasn't it? Now, it's 4.37, you're on the panel, uh, NZ National. We discussed the reforms to remove a legal appeal process that the alcohol industry has often used with regards to alcohol availability in communities, but that won't extend to alcohol sponsorship in sports. The government will not commit to Chloe Swarbrick's second part of the Alcohol Harm Minimisation Amendment Bill. Sport NZ has said it would have a profound effect on some organisations to continue to provide sport and recreation opportunities. The Sports Minister, Grant Robinson, well, he says he has no interest in backing a bill that would see the end of all alcohol advertising and sponsoring of broadcast sporting events. So with us is Tim Chambers. He's a Senior Research Fellow in the Health, Environment and Infection Research Unit at the University of Otago, and it was a subject of an article in the conversation by way of RNZ. Tim, kia ora, welcome to the program. Kia ora thanks for having me. Pleasure. So, now, tell, what's the issue here? How would restricting alcohol sponsorship be beneficial in sport? Yes, yeah, so- yeah, so there's really clear evidence actually over decades now that shows that uh, exposure to alcohol marketing through sponsorship is linked with increased drinking, uh, mainly uh, and especially within children. So they drink earlier, they drink more when they start to drink, and they're more likely to be hazardous drinkers in, in adult life. So we know that marketing is a powerful tool that's used by a lot of industries to uh, increase consumption, and the alcohol industry is no different. Hang on, Tim. That's, a, that's extraordinary. So that, that link... That link you just talked about right there is not only does it, does it does it come from a very young age, but it's watertight. It's an inextricable link. 
Yeah, so there's been decades of research on the topic. I mean, there's been over uh, 27 longitudinal studies. So these are studies where you, you follow people through time and you mm. can see you know, their exposure at a young age then what happens later on in life in terms of their drinking status. And those studies included over 80,000 people. So it's pretty, it's pretty convincing evidence, uh, these longitudinal study designs, and that's what we've been seeing for, yeah. for a long time. Our panellists should have uh, uh, some thoughts, questions on this, Tim, but it is, I guess my first thought is is so extraordinarily ingrained. I mean, take for me, growing up with seeing the likes of, you know, Prime Ministers going into the changing rooms after a big match to have a beer, an after-match beer. Really, what's the issue? Well, the issue is that that type of marketing that happens has been linked to increased consumption, Mm -hmm. and we know that alcohol is the most harmful drug in, in New Zealand, so it's not just an ordinary commodity. Yeah, and like I grew up inextricably linked with Benson and Hedges. Like it was the mm. Benson and Hedges Fashion Awards. Right. It was for all the cricket. And like Benson and Hedges were very prolific, in fact, in Winfield. BNH Awards. Yeah. So, tennis, tennis as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was all it's sorts of stuff. So we managed to, and Winfield was racing, I think, but we managed to extricate that. I mean, I do like a drink. I don't like, I, I hate the licensing trust in West Auckland um, around that sort of, that, that level of control because they stifle hospitality. But there is no doubt that if you use alcohol in excess, it has very deleterious health outcomes. So we should, I think... So you support actually, the Yeah, bill. I actually do support this. And I think was it, Graham Lowe is a really big supporter, I he think, as well. You know, so. When somebody like that's been so involved and can see the harm and is advocating for it, then I actually am in agreement. Right, Tim, but I know it's hard to get sponsorship. Tim? Yes. Yeah, uh, we'll stay there. <laughs> let's, let's, bring, um, let's bring Tom in. Tom, uh, what's your thoughts on this? Oh, listen, I absolutely agree with Tim. Um, anyway, we can reduce the recruitment of our youth... Uh, into possibly, as he stated, the most harmful drug that we have here in Aotearoa. Um, 80% of Māori youth first interactions with the courts is via traffic, and a large number of that is alcohol-related. So Mm. um, anyway, we can reduce the recruitment of our youth. I'll I'll support it wholeheartedly, and I support everything that Tim said. Someone who doesn't support it, Tim, is uh, the Minister for Sports, uh, Grant Robinson. He said, quoting, it would be a quick and knee-jerk way of dealing with what is a complex issue. That's what Grant Robinson said. What would you say to that? Yeah, well, he actually voted in favour of actually more restrictive marketing um, uh, parameters in 2009 with previous members' bills. So this is actually much uh, less uh, intrusive than those previous bills that he currently supported. And in terms of it being knee-jerk, it's not really knee-jerk because we've had multiple uh, government-initiated reports that have been done and reviewed. Yeah. Uh, one in 2010 and another one in 2014 that both recommended actually more strict um, phasing out of alcohol sponsorship of sport than what Chloe had proposed in her members. No. Okay, but he would also say, look, if you go around and ask many individual sports clubs around New Zealand, the effect of restriction would be very, very significant. That's what the sports minister said. What would you say to that? Yeah, I think there's a bit of confusion here as well because Chloe's part of the bill is actually only targeting televised sports. So it, it doesn't actually directly impact most of the community sports that there are. So if you've got your local sports club that's sponsored by an alcohol company and they help provide the sports club rooms with, uh, you know, cheaper alcohol or, you know, they give the, the local team money, that won't be part of these restrictions. So the, the sort of narrative that it's going to really impact in community sports is actually not the target of the bill. Um, and so you're using that as an argument against uh, support for this bill is not really valid.
Where do you think that that has come from? Is that from some sort of lobbying aspect to try and stop this? Because it seems so often to be derailed. And using words like knee-jerk when he voted on something similar in 2009 is just ridiculous. So where do you think that narrative is coming from? Yeah, that's a good question. And um, it's getting a little bit further away from the science and more into the politics of it. Exactly. Um, but what I can say is that the science is pretty clear about what the impact of the, um, the ban would be. Um, right. yeah, and it would be good for public health. And yeah, it would have don't relatively little impact on, yeah, don't like the science. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, here's, a, here's a text here. I, I just came back from Sport NZ National Conference. Lots mm. of excessive alcohol drinking going on there. No surprise they don't want to get rid of alcohol sponsorship. Unfortunately, it is still a core part of sports culture in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I guess that is um, part of the issue, Tim, that you want to loosen the bonds between uh, what is actually seen as uh, such a link, like I'm saying, part of, part, of, part of the culture, but it need not be. Yeah, exactly. And uh, one thing I failed to mention as well is that uh, the sponsorship of sport by alcohol companies actually increases the harm done to the athletes themselves. Yeah. The studies that have looked at it, um, and those, those athletes that are sponsored by alcohol companies uh, actually experience more harm than those that are not sponsored by alcohol companies. I mean, and you only have to look at recent headlines to find yes, examples of like, notable sports stars getting exactly, in trouble with alcohol. Exactly. And yeah, Rarotonga. Okay, and, and okay so finally, finally, Tim, finally, uh, 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 what replaces it? What replaces that money? Yeah, so that's also an argument that's used is that maybe there'll be a flood of uh, other unhealthy sponsors that come in. And I'd just like to address two points around that. One would be that alcohol is the most harmful commodity there is, so any replacement, even if it was something like junk food, would be more beneficial. And the second element would be that if you actually look at the distribution of different sponsors that sponsor our major sports organisations, like other unhealthy sponsors like food uh, companies don't actually make up a great percentage of those sponsors. So it's likely that uh, those sponsorship uh, spots that are vacated would be replaced with things like ANZ, banking, financial, you know, transport, uh, Toyota, those sorts of those sorts of brands and companies. Good to have you on, Tim. Thank you. That's Tim Chambers there, Senior Research Fellow in the Health, Environment and Infection Research Unit at Otago. It's interesting though too, isn't it? Because then our petrol company is going to be the next thing. Our car is going to be a problem because of climate change. It is an interesting oh, slippery slope. Well, I mean, I'm, a, I'm Tom, in favour of it. Where do you draw the line? Oh, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm already coming across as a prude. Evidently, I don't like fireworks. I shower too much and I uh, don't want alcohol in our community. So, <laughs> But listen, there, there hasn't been too many reports of um, families being killed by a driver eating a donut. You know, so I'm quite happy for, um, yeah. you know, junk food or whatever. So uh, they, the, the alcohol lobbying in Parliament is strong. Yeah. And the message from them is, you know, we're out here building communities. You go, no, you're out here killing communities. So um, uh, any argument they put up on deaf ears with me. So. And just really, like, the amount of antics from rugby league players, rugby union players, yep. etc., that is constantly in the news is obviously right. a link to that okay. as well. Um, people have quite a bit of response regarding the person who showers just uh, once a week. Uh, I'm listening to the probably smelly person on once weekly shower. Yuck, says, uh, says Tracy. Others are saying, I'm, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. Yeah. I'm going to give it a go. She yeah. seemed nice. Uh, 14 to 5. I just wanted to touch on this, actually. This really uh, caught my attention. Skinny mobile ads where they feature everyday people with celebrity names are well known at this point but their latest marketing scheme has rubbed a few people the wrong way titled phone it in 
The ad features a phone number and a short script, and it asks people to ring the number and record themselves reading the ad to, quote, keep prices low. Now, some are saying this undermines and undervalues the talents of pro actors and voiceover artists, many of which have had a tough time finding work over the last while. With us is actor, performer and writer B. Lee Smith. Uh, Kia ora, B. Have I pronounced your name right? You have. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, this is a genius ad, isn't it? You're keeping prices low, getting the people themselves to do the voice. What's wrong with that? Well, I mean, ostensibly it looks innocent enough. Um, it's giving people a chance to have their 15 seconds of fame and yeah. keeping prices down for the consumer. But what it means for actors in the long run is it's basically a blatant devaluing of what we do, um, trivialising the skills that we actually spend a lot of time and invest a lot of money in developing and recognising the fact that what we do is actually a profession. Um, if you were to liken it to something comparable, like a journalist, for example, if you were to just put it out there and say, okay, we're just going to have anyone off the street write articles for stuff today, off you go, um, there would be quite a strong reaction to that. But people now, don't seem to view the arts in the same way. Well, you're a voiceover artist, I am, Penny. I know, and I'm like, I'm going to irritate our guests potentially, and my Facebook went crazy with this um, at the time. but. I am not that bothered by this. I really like the skinny ads. I think they're funny. And actually what I think they do do is highlight how much better professionals are. Because these people, it's funny, but they're terrible. And with this voiceover thing, it's one voiceover. And, you know, nobody complains about Stickman. Stickman takes the job of an actor and numerous actors in, in a pack and save ad. I think this is one campaign, and I do think it's quite genius because we are talking about it. Uphold the respect of those who this is one are campaign. A, a voiceover artist. I've been a voiceover prof- artist for, for 22 for professionals. years. Hey, you're yeah. not the only person and who's done voiceover work, yeah. uh, a penny. Yeah, I've been B? porn sound effects. <laughs> B? What's that, sorry? I've done Don't porn sound effects. Don't worry about it. <laughs> B? Okay, good on you. Yeah, yeah. But what so, would you, anyway, so what would you say to Penny then? Yeah. I mean, look, it's open to anyone's opinion. Um, I just personally think that it's a slippery slope, really. Yeah. Um, I think there just needs to be more awareness in general of what actors do. Um, in something like an ad, uh, it looks like fun and games, but there's actually quite a lot of work involved. And um, for and professional performers, it's often that's their chance to make their income. When we're making our art, it's often for little to no money. Um, so we depend on that kind of work in order to pay the bills. One thing I will say yeah. is that fees for voiceovers have not gone up in 20 years. I get paid the same as I did 20 years ago. And I don't think the people writing the ads and paying for those campaigns get paid the same that they do. And that is disgusting. Tom. That is. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, well, so I'm, 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 I'm jumping in behind B and her colleagues. If, if, if they, oh, is me. <laughs> if they can't hold yep. the value of their craft, then who's going to do it? It's the same with CNZ removing funding. Um, yeah. The arts give us an ability to communicate grace. If we remove that from our community, we're, we're losing something of ourselves. 
This is funny that I feel like I'm arguing against this. All rights for B. All rights for B and her team. Absolutely. Stand up for yourself and say, no, here's the value of our craft. I'm saying this is one campaign. This is one campaign. It's valuing craft. It's valuing craft. I nearly swore. Stop talking over me. I do value craft, clearly. (laughs) I've been a full-time performer for 22 years, but I have a sense to see when one campaign is getting the publicity that it requires from us doing this. And stop paying us 300 bucks for the same thing for 20 years. Final thought, B? Um, I think it's just something for people to be aware of and conscious of um, and the fact that we're having this lively debate is a really positive thing and hopefully people will hear it and give them some food for thought and yeah and as I say when they hear when they hear how bad they are they will really value us even more good to have you on the program (laughs) thank you very much yes indeed indeed. you're welcome what about that now speaking of ads (laughs) speaking of ads I've had two people text me today going Wallace what is the song that you on on an ad that you love so much I don't know what it is and I I, it's, it's enraging me that I don't know what the song is. What's well, I tell you what, it's oh. add on RNZ, the promo for the show. Oh, you know, um, every time you hear these horns, it's the ad. Uh, and the song is "Love Song" by The Cure. I said it's one of the best songs of all time. Text yes two one zero one. So that's it. Anyway, nine to five. Oh, no. The oh, panel. No. no, yes, RNZ <laughs> National. Now. When's the last time you walked into a cafe or bar and saw that tip jar was full or even half full? Chances are never. Tipping is a phenomenon that has never really caught on in our society. The common argument being that in many countries, tips are crucial to a hospitality worker's bottom line. Here, not usually the case. At a time, though, when living costs are sky high, the question becomes, should we put our money where our mouth is and just tip a staff member? Say, hey, well done. Or forget about it altogether. With us is AUT School of Hospitality and Tourism Senior Lecturer David Williamson to tell us what he thinks. David, kia ora. My old friend, how are you? <laughs> Very good, Dave. Very good indeed. And I can't recall people tipping too much at your former bar in uh, Dunners there. But I do want to know, okay, so I'm not talking about a holers bowlers sort of tipping culture, but let's start to tip. Maybe 5% because things are so high. What do you think? I think New Zealanders are eminently sensible about tipping. I think that people are more than happy in this country to tip for great service. People are more than happy to tip when they think they're getting really good service from people. But I don't think any of us want to see the sort of culture that you see in North America where tipping becomes an expectation. You said 5% or 10% yeah, or 15% right. like we get in North America. Absolutely not. Because why, not? I why, believe not? why not? Because I believe what happens is you're basically moving the expectation that the employer will be paying good exactly. wages and decent conditions onto the customer and that should absolutely that, not happen. My take on that, David, is that that wouldn't happen here because that expectation we're, we're not like the US that wouldn't happen you'd that money that five percent of d- the dinner that would go on top of your, the wages that you've been paid now yeah I just I think as well one of the key ideas that I always think about is the expectation of being provided hospitality I think what most people really want when they go out is an experience of hospitality and that's something where you get the feeling that people are on your side, that the service is being thoughtful, that things are happening for you, not to you 
And that sort of expectation and experience of hospitality has nothing to do with you paying for it. Doesn't it? Of, no, on top of what you're giving. People who provide great hospitality do it because it's in their heart. They do it because it's something that they really are intrinsically motivated to do. You know, hospitality people get pleasure from giving pleasure. And sure, we want good wages, good conditions, great if you want to give us a tip on top of that. But actually building this idea that you should automatically tip uh, hospitality staff, I think is wrong. Tom, you go to a, your favourite eatery and you, do a, you have a tip. When's the last time? Sure. So um, my wife's American, so I do a bit of time in America. Oh. And tipping, tipping. in the culture there, mm. there's part of it there that I agree with because um, waiting and the service industry is slightly different than it is here. There it is one of is the top five roles for a non-graduate to get. And so it's been traditionally low wages and also the, the bill price is usually low as well. Yeah. So you get a good meal at a good price, you get good service, you're happy to tip. Now, being, being extorted for the 12 to 15%, some of the restaurants I sort of cringe at because I'm a Kiwi, but back here I don't see the necess- necessity for automatically charging us because you're already getting, already getting destroyed in the food bill. And mm. if you have a glass of wine, then, then the hurt really comes on. And right. um, for us to go out and enjoy these restaurants, we need to make it sort of palatable and also affordable for us. And sometimes the 10 to 15% may tip that over the edge. Uh, okay, so there, David, penny, penny. In the US, I find a lot of people expect 20%, and it just gets more and more. I have been the person that works for tips in the UK, and my wage was £3 an hour, and mm. I had assholes for bosses, because so often in hospitality, the bosses are like that. Oh, and, it's such a stereotype. No, it's not, for believe God's me. Sake. Like, when, I, when I started working in an office, they <laughs> said, do you God. want a morning tea? I went, what is this absolute palatial situation? I'm not being t- called a piece of... You, honestly, I've had really bosses and then so I was working for the tips because I was like these people are paying me you're not and then I was like I had animosity towards them because they couldn't be paying me properly and I'm so glad that we don't have this situation in New Zealand and if I get really good service here I will tip and I get annoyed in the States but it's true that the food is cheaper but that's because they're not paying their staff properly. If someone says uh, will we start tipping our lawyer and plumber as well? Well that's the thing Uh, in the States there's all sorts of like hairdressers, taxi drivers where do you draw the line? Um, uh, David's right good service should be a given Mm. in hospitality. The clue is in the name. Hospitality. So um, it's it's, it's a big note because Paula Bennett David tried to encourage more tipping a few years ago assuming it would increase the quality of service. When I go to a restaurant, David, I my big thing is not actually the food; it's the service. I love good service. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you can you say to me right now that um, it wouldn't increase if I gave twenty percent? No, I don't think it would be a direct link. What's really interesting, Wallace, is we've just finished another survey of hospitality and tourism employment, and it's the biggest one that's ever been done in the country. Uh, We're going to have it ready for publication at the end of November, and one of the interesting things already coming out of it is that wages and pay are by far and away the largest sort of problem that employees are identifying in this industry. And I think you had Helen White from the Hospitality Association on a couple of weeks ago. Mm. 
uh, saying, oh, well, you know, it's not really about wages and it's about other things as well. Sure, it is about other things, but decent wages are at the forefront of employee right. problems in the industry. Yep. Yep. And moving to this idea that, oh, well, we should all then start tipping, yep. uh, you know, staff to make up for that wage loss is absolutely lethal. We Go on, Go Penny, Wallace is being a jerk, someone says. Uh, that's disappointing. Thank you very much. That's really disappointing, Thank you. Yeah. isn't it? Hey, Tom. Kia ora. Kia ora, Tom. It's been lovely to have you on the show. Appreciate it. You too, it, Penny. Had a great time, guys. Thanks yep. very much. Thanks I'm very much. Wallace. Keep up the good work. I'm Wallace Chapman. Thank you. Checkpoint next. <laughs> See you tomorrow for Power Ballad Friday. Oh. Good song tomorrow.